0: every generation there is a chosen podcast it alone will analyze the subtext the allegory and the clever dialogue. dialogue it is conversations with dead people welcome to Conversations with Dead People. I'm your host, Paul Smith, uh, and with the help of guests from the worlds of fandom and uh, academia, I explore the comics, films, and television series that have spun out of the creative minds in, around, and beyond the purse With me this week, author of Mimesis and Broken Magic and co-creator of The Delhi Counter of Justice, your friend and mine, Eric Sippel. Eric, welcome back.
1: Thank you for having me back on a very excited, very excited for these I think i I think this was I think I made a, a scene to be on this particular episode <laughs> at some point, so I'm very excited
0: when don't you make a scene
1: <laughs> fair, y- fair
0: you you are a scene, my friend um, yeah these are so <laughs> tonight we're going to be talking about uh, only two episodes tonight, but it's because it, they're two of the best we're going to be talking about uh episodes two fifteen reprise and two sixteen epiphany um Both of them spoiler alert fantastic episodes That I think we are going to have very positive things To say about Um, And I had actually Forgotten So both of these episodes had just settled into my Mind um, as being Great episodes I, I just I just accepted oh these are Two of the really good ones rewatching Them for this podcast I had Forgotten how Fucking great they are I I Adorable, both of these episodes and these are kind of A big deal both of these episodes are kind of A big deal I don't think I Typically in my brain I don't usually put them in line with like Not fade away Or uh, Orpheus or those Like the ones that I think of as the big sh- You know showpiece episodes But these are I think they are
1: They're 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 not only great episodes. And I, I had the same experience coming back to them. The the like, wow, these are even better. But um, the thing about them is these are, in my opinion, this the thesis statement of Angel. And so it's not, they're nope. not just great episodes. They are, in my opinion, the two most important episodes of this
0: series. Yes, I actually had that in my notes. I referred to these as the thesis of Angel. Um, yeah. All right. Well, so... Before we actually start discussing the episodes I'll throw out the spoiler warning Uh, This podcast, uh, we're going to be discussing The plots, characters, and themes Of each episode in depth and within the context Of the series as a whole That means there's going to be spoilers And lots of them Um, So if you have not watched Angel up to this point um, Hit pause, go watch those Go get caught up Go blow your mind with these two amazing episodes Uh, Come back, we'll still be here Um With that official warning out of the way, Eric, if you're ready, let's go to work.
1: Let's do this. Let's do this.
0: All right. Episode two hundred and fifteen, "Reprise." Original air date February twentieth, two thousand one. Written by Tim Minear. Both these episodes are written by Tim Minear. These are basically this is basically a two part episode, practically. Uh, This one is directed by James Whitmore Jr. and Eric Sipple. Take it away. What is so amazing about "Reprise"? This is, whew,
1: oh man, that's like a giant question. We're going to spend the whole episode talking about that specific question. Um, Reprise is a really fascinating episode because of, of its placement and its importance. It's middle of the season, but it has the plot payoff power of a season finale. And in fact, uh, you know, we're like, what, two thirds of the way through the season mm-hmm. at this point. Um, it's such much of a season finale that this season doesn't actually really have a season finale. Like, I agree. I agree. It's. We basically wrap up the season's plotline in this. So this is the culmination of what has been, um, you know, 15 episodes of – or 14 episodes of buildup as um, we get Darla's reintroduction, that whole arc. And it. what's amazing about this episode and the next episode um, is that the payoff is deeply thematic. It is not a plot payoff. We kind of get the plot payoff in the episodes prior to this with Darla um, being turned into a vampire – This is now why have we been going through this arc? And it is rare to have a TV series have that much centering on. All right. Why are we here? Not the plot mechanics of it, but why are we here? Yeah. And and this is the best why you could ever have.
0: Yeah, no, I I totally agree. When I was looking at the, the episodes that we still have to cover, I was like, Oh, this kind of, I I thought the same thing. I was like, this is kind of the season (laughs) finale. Like this wraps up all the themes Um, Of season two up to this point Like I I feel like Some people have complained that season Two uh, tends to feel a bit Scattered I mean you've got the gang literally Scattered uh, and Divided angels cut himself off from his friends uh, And pretty much all of his support structure Um, He's he's Gradually like just getting darker and darker As the season goes Um, But that's All of that as Pretty much just been leading up to this um, The season Up to this point has been about sort of tests And trials It's about Angel uh, Completely reacting to the revelation That there is some reward Promised him uh, If he does enough good He'll he'll get a shiny prize um, So he's been taking bigger and bigger swings uh, As the season goes along um, Basically fighting For his prize like that's what he that's become his mission is to get his reward um for from the shanshu prophecy and uh this is the episode where uh he he is he becomes aware that that is not what the fight is about
1: What I think is really amazing about the—it's interesting people have this view of season two, and I suspect a lot of it is because it's a 16-episode story with a weird (laughs) postscript. And I'm a fan of the postscript to this season, don't get me wrong, but it is a structure that I actually still don't know the story of. I don't understand how the season got structured this way. It's a very strange season structure, but if you— Consider this the end of the season, and then you know, the next four or five episodes is fun, bonus episodes in between the seasons. I'm fully a fan of the arc that leads up to this point because I like that it goes from Angel fighting is for his first reward to realizing it's going to be a long fight to having a moment of kindness, a goodness, a cause to fight for that is very personal to him to go to the powers and then basically be told no we're not we can't help you you're screwed and then after that having a moment where darla he does save darla only to have it snatched away from him
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so by this point in the series we've gotten to an angel who has decided that there is no mission there is no real goodness to be had there's at least not for him and we've had what like four or five episodes of him being his darkest self not darkest not angelic self right just a mission on vengeance leading up to this episode. And this is actually the culmination of his mission of vengeance against Wolfram and Hart. He's totally abandoned the Shanshu prophecy at this point. And yeah, now this is, it is, th-
0: this is basically his suicide attempt.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. He's given up on it. You're right. That's actually a really good point. This episode is kind of like him finding a mission that, that ends The version of himself that he can deal with at this point which is like well there's no reason for goodness anymore i'm going to take out a a senior partner or and maybe go kill a bunch more senior partners and then go which again let's say thesis statement of the series (laughs) right because we're going to return to this at some point yeah this idea of angel thinking a mission is worth it to take out some some senior partners but anyways in this it is not a good version of that
0: right um so this oh wait um this episode we so all of our characters are brought to low points in this episode um Wesley loses Virginia this is the final appearance of Virginia Bryce um and in fact this is this kind of marks a turning point for the character of Wesley. Um, I feel like this relationship, um, first of all, this relationship always, it it lasted longer than I always remember. I I always forget that she was a significant, like recurring character for much of the season up to this point. I always forget that. But um, I feel like that relationship had the potential to save Wesley, to, keep him from the next three seasons of trauma and tragedy that he's about to face um, and so that was a pretty significant moment i'm sad that they had that they they wrote virginia out um but like that that's his dark moment of the soul or that's the inciting incident who is now what will be an ongoing <laughs> dark night of the soul Wesley
1: gets nothing but nothing but pain. Not all the other characters who get pain the way Wesley does in this, but yeah, this is this is kind of the first kick to cool Wesley. Like Wesley has no. kind of gotten a little. He's definitely competent at this point. He's definitely he's well beyond the season three Buffy Wesley. Right. He's also beyond the rogue demon hunter Wesley of season one. He's settled into a kind of comfortably. um... um cool role he's actually the boss of angel investigations at this point he's capable of being the boss we get
0: we get from this point on we get significantly fewer Pratt Fall wesley moments
1: yeah it's just it is one one stripping away of goofy wesley from another at this point but um i i actually really like the the virginia breakup in this and and it connects to a theme that i felt overall with angel which is that on buffy one of my prime complaints as you get past season two or season three is that the breakups feel increasingly plot driven like they're looking for reasons to break characters up or end relationships yeah these often feel human you know wesley and virginia's breakup feels like a very human breakup it's not plot mechanics it's not anything it's just extremely painful um and and angel as a series will return to that again Um, uh, fred and Gunn's relationship also goes out in a very extended sputtering flame of pain mm-hmm. that I think is also really great but it's it, it's interesting going back after seeing that that this is probably the most human breakup in either series it's just like this isn't working and it but it comes out of nowhere despite that
0: yeah and and if if you just watch reprise by itself um like my initial reaction on this rewatch was w- when she's explaining why like why she's what her issue is and that it's the, the violence or whatever that, uh, Wesley faces my immediate thought. And then Wesley immediately vote voiced it or whatever. My immediate thought was you grew up with like <laughs> your father was a, a source. You grew up around this stuff. How can this possibly be? And Wesley calls her on that. And she specifically mentions guns because he's just been shot recently, um, so, there was a part of me just watching that scene that was like, "This is really tragic, and I know this has to happen. I wish they could have found a better excuse for writing her out than her being uncomfortable with the violence and the gun stuff and then next episode uh it's it we're we're introduced to the notion that Wesley now has a shotgun in his apartment um <laughs> so i and and going forward, Wesley falls back on guns more and more so that was Yeah, Wesley
1: becomes gun guy.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of my online identities for a while was shotgun wesley. That was the name I went by. So
1: <laughs> I love it.
0: Um anyways, so yeah, uh no more Virginia Bryce. Also final appearance of Holland Manners, which breaks my heart.
1: Is this actually his final appearance, I think so I was trying to remember.
0: I think so. I think in towards the end of season 5, I think we see him walking in a background shot but i don't think it's actually him i think it's a body double i think it's supposed to be him but
1: really the all-timer of the wolferman Hart bosses that we ever get we get a couple more from here we get linwood for a pretty long time in season three and maybe early season four um and then there's another one who doesn't last very long that i can't think of his name he's like the immediate follower of of holland yeah. How, what a performance. I got hold on. What is Holland's? What, who plays Holland Mathers? Sam, uh, Sam, Sam Anderson. Anderson. What, what a iconic performance. Every moment, like the king of being the most evil person in the world <laughs> while also just being some guy you would meet on the golf course. Like
0: the character's for- final words on the series are have a nice day. <laughs> it's the final thing we ever hear from Holland Manners.
1: And, and he to be honest, he gets what is maybe the single most iconic scene of angel? Like it's basically handed to him. That's, and I don't think it was an accident that they brought him back Mm, that mm. they, they knew there's no way they didn't know how important this scene was, the elevator to hell scene. And it's almost entirely him talking. It's his performance. He's what a goodbye. What a goodbye. If this was goodbye indeed, then yeah. Beautiful. Goodbye.
0: Yeah. Um, Let's see um, What else do we get in this episode Alright well let's talk about the Hang on I'm trying to think of the other characters Dark moments so um, Cordy oh. Cordy talks about the fact that she, she You know she no longer has a group Of friends which this is a very sad I loved the the Sad phone call between uh, The recently single wesley and the very kind but kind of oblivious cordy um like she's like oh i don't have any friends and and wesley's like yes yes you do or that's not true and she's like oh you don't count you can just see like she's being sweet but you can see how truly devastated wesley is um so that was super sad but um yeah cordy's dark moment in this episode is just the fact that she is um Separated from any friends, and And, well,
1: she also ends up in actual mortal danger, right? At the the very end of the episode, she
0: walks off into a trap, yeah,
1: yeah, because everything's going wrong. Cordy's the one person who both gets emotionally kicked and, um, you know, sent to near death in it by the Skilosh demons, is that skelosh,
0: yeah, uh, Uh, for, for her second of arguably three demonic pregnancies,
1: yes. Yes, this one this one probably the most distinct of them, which I which is which is quite a stretch to say given her later one. That's right. But yeah. um, the and then and then the other dark moment, which is probably my favorite of the dark moments, is Kate, who is a mm. character underserved often by this show, but yes. I think much better than many people say. I think she's a great character. And these two episodes give her what I think is a legitimately good send off. It's bleak, but it's good.
0: It, her her send off provides one of my uh, one of the seminal moments and statements oh. of oh, the we're gonna get... <laughs> entire series. Um, it's also it's also tragic that that actually is that next episode Epiphany is the final appearance of Kate Lockley because by the end by the last time we see her, she seems. On the road to being in a better place And there's promise of what the character Could have become Because you said she was underserved I think you're right she's underserved And the show just didn't know what to do with the cop Format Or whatever It was They did not use that Aspect of the character well And so the fact that she was no longer a cop And now had this very intimate Connection with Angel There was promise there and I'm sad that Uh she not only never comes back, but as far as I remember, is never even mentioned again.
1: <laughs> yeah, they, they they fully memory hole Kate, which is a bummer. I mean, she's the cop thing is interesting because um, and it's interesting. They actually sent they eliminate her by ending the cop part, which yeah. actually in theory should make her viable right. for the show. Although I do think she went on to another show pretty soon. Law, here, so Law and order, go. I think. Yeah. So basically, I think she left. I don't yeah. know if they actually were trying to write her off. She did. She did leave. But. But the the this I mean, Kate, Kate Lockley as a character is the canonical late 90s supernatural series character. There is always the vigilante supernatural person and the cop who's after them.
0: Right. Even yeah. though they're
1: on the same side. I mean, like the Raven. I don't know if you watched the Highland or the Raven. Yeah, is, I did. Yeah. Is a 100 percent this premise. The, the angel Kate dynamic is the exact dynamic of highlander the raven which god bless them for going with that but (laughs) but it was it's definitely a nod to the earlier roots of the series that they can never figure out how to make work and that said many characters who have not worked on a series have gotten significantly worse write-offs than this and so this is probably her best moment yeah Um, yeah yeah. in this episode it's her her trial right her like review hearing i should say it's not really a trial it's like her cop review hearing right and she gets booted off the force by the end of this episode that's like her dark moment yeah well like I'm sorry and then she starts taking pills I'm sorry that's her actual dark <laughs> moment but, but i can't the,
0: i can't sorry. remember if she takes the pills in this episode or next episode
1: okay okay it, it, yeah. it
0: must be it must be this episode cuz at the end of this episode she makes the she's calling she calls angel and he ignores the phone call yes yes and the next episode is, is this, when he responds
1: and she is fully drugged at the yes. point of her phone call. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So. so so Angel and Kate both make suicide attempts in this episode. Um, so the two other big moments in this, obviously you already mentioned the elevator ride to hell. Uh, elevator to hell going down. Very, very important because that's the revelation that um, – there is no big grand gesture that angel going to be able to make Um, he is not being taken to the home office There is no secret headquarters, um No corner office that the senior partners are in that he can kick the door open to Uh, he takes this long elevator ride to hell with, uh, the glorious sam anderson as holland manners Uh talking about how, um uh, uh, we have no intention of doing anything so prosaic as winning the world okay. the world doesn't work in spite of evil angel it works with us it works because of us
1: okay i want to get into this but i want to uh, can we set the stage for how we get to this because part of the brilliance of this elevator ride is the way this episode is structured leading up to it which uh-huh. i i feel like is like the payoff so this episode opens with the idea that there's this like century review of wolfram and Hart, Angel's going to, there's this demon who will show up and he's got a glove. Well, sorry, There's a glove that will kill him and he has a ring. And if you take the ring, you can go to hell and fight the, the senior, senior partner. partners. Like, yeah. and, and there's this entire plot structure of Angel going after it and Darla going after it because Darla wants her own revenge. And like, I mean, the whole thing is set up to build up to this grand moment of angel going on the suicide mission against the senior partners like it is and i mean it's like this like pure crappy dime store fantasy shit the whole way through which is not not the last time angel will use dime store fantasy shit in order to set up a, a interesting twist um this is not their only time but all this setup just to get to this thing and after all of it he jumps out the window glove around the neck of the demon that's like the thing kills it picks up the ring puts it on and this elevator appears in the middle of like the plaza yep. of whatever wolfman hearts main building and that's what kicks this off it's so much setup it is so much setup to get to this elevator <laughs> i'm sorry that, I didn't want to trail us, but i it's like so brilliant
0: and and part of that quest part of that multi stage quest that he has to go on they brought back denver who was the the Bookstore owner that we last saw in Are you now or have you ever been It's <laughs> a great Character I love the through line here Where he talks about how yeah 50 years Ago man you changed my life by Introducing you know by showing me that Even evil beings can uh, Have mercy Or whatever to which angel Promptly says oh yeah although I Let all those people on the I left all the people in the hotel to that demon They probably all died um, I mean like Just crushing poor Denver's spirit and then of course Denver dies Which was sad but it's uh, One more piece of collateral damage On Angel's quest I do want to point out in that scene Angel gets stabbed with a sword For probably the thousandth time But makes such a big deal out of it It's it's almost like um, Paul Rubin's character from the Buffy movie the, uh, oh, uh, I mean he's so, he goes on And on about that gut wound it even becomes a running joke when he's telling the story to wesley later on um and then he falls 15 stories and splatters on the sidewalk and shakes it off without even a bruise so (laughs)
1: look look, different types of pain. faith has walked us through this in our last episode (laughs) together there's a lot of different types of pain there's sharp and hot and cold and sharp is apparently angels problem right that's that's the thing that makes sense Uh, you you brought up something about about Denver, which I hadn't. I can't believe I didn't connect this watching this. I feel like a like a dummy on this. But are you now, or have you ever been? Is the thematic setup for where we get in mm-hmm. this whole season? It is like the the kick like the kickoff setup of everything else we get because it's a microcosm of Angel's Ark mm-hmm. this season, and I cannot believe I have never identified it as that. God, I feel stupid right now. But <laughs> and so bringing Denver back in this episode is great. Because Angel is now repeating the yeah. are you now or have you been? Sorry, I'm realizing the most obvious thing in the world, Paul. and I'm, I'm really <laughs> sorry, but like, is this never I'm so overwhelmed by this episode and there's so much great stuff that somehow this particular thing has never clicked for me.
0: So it's all, it's all good. Um, you're having okay. an, you're, you're having, an epiphany. I'm um, having
1: an epiphany. We can get back to the elevator ride whenever you want. I'm sorry. I like I couldn't talk about the elevator ride without talking about the 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 massive misdirection. Of this episode structure,
0: yeah, no, so okay, so the big revelation, obviously, that comes from the elevator ride to hell is that there is no hell. Um, I've actually seen people. I I don't know how serious anyone is, but I know for a fact I've seen people that have posited that uh, when the elevator opens and he's just back out on the streets of L.A., that that's not the real L.A. What I mean, it's the whole Saint Elsewhere. Crap! Of that was the point where Angel went to hell and everything from that point, which is bullshit because he continues to have crossovers with Buffy and I mean it's it's bullshit. But
1: I I I you know I hate I hate on Twitter when people want to dunk on things and they're like, where's your media literacy? I think it's a crappy thing to say. <laughs> but I also feel like, how do you watch this episode which is making a thematic point yeah. so blunt? You are getting beaten to death with it, right? That and then look at it and go, that's all what's happening.
0: This yeah, yeah, it's, he's he's in hell now. Anyway, yeah, he is
1: in hell now. Literally, they tell you he is in hell now. Right, this is
0: hell. Yeah, the uh, the the Home Office exists in the the dark corners of every human on the planet. So, <laughs> um, once again, Angel is a show about the adult realization that trying to save the entire world single handedly in one you know big go is maybe just a tad unrealistic
1: yep and there's and there's and the, he and it approaches it from multiple versions of that from actually trying to this which is i can revenge my way right. into ending evil right and this and this sequence is great because when elevate like angel gets onto the elevator and there's like elevator music because everything you would expect yeah and hall and holland is at his most like casually condescending through this whole ride and i'm i'm trying to remember my first experience watching this episode because i do remember being fully blown away by this episode the first time like i i know i was on board with this episode the first time but you i, I feel like you i can remember that feeling that like something is there's a twist coming like the scene is great for setting up that like what there's something going to go wrong here not something about this isn't right something isn't going and and holland's attitude is so much about that but um I feel like there's this point, and I can't think of what Angel's prompt is, where Holland is like, "Yeah,
0: you should get on that." Yeah, yeah. I I wish I'd written that down. That was a great exchange where he's like, uh, "Angel, you're right." I don't remember what Angel says, something to the effect of, "Well, there will be no more evil, or whatever," and Holland's like, "Oh, I hadn't thought of it." Well, yeah, absolutely. You should do that then. Good, good job. <laughs> yeah, whatever.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, and we get this like long. I mean, and it's this is so great because. We've actually watched almost everyone else's dark moments up to this point. Everyone else's lives have been falling apart. And, and the initial read on this episode up to this point is that everything is going wrong in service of this suicide mission. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, angels kind of set up the situation. They're not good apart. This is the consequences of everyone's actions, um, reaping, sowing, et cetera. Right. Um, and, but we're going to get something. And then, and then the elevator opens and we get Angel's dark moment, which is literally the same thing. Why do you think Earth isn't enough? Why do you think this isn't evil? We don't yeah. need to do anything. And suddenly Angel's a part of it. And, like, it's the most dark moment of them all, which is, like, you, you can't beat evil. And that's part one of the thesis statement. This is not the entire thesis statement of Angel, although it's impossible to read the finale of angel without starting with this, which is that evil exists here. You will never stop fighting. Yeah. you can't defeat it. Why would you, why would we need to win? We can just fester forever. And this is like part one, the bleakness of that, that you're never going to win is like part one of the thesis statement,
0: which is, which is why not fade away is so fucking flawless. (laughs) Perfect. Um, Okay well one more thing happens in this episode Before we move on to Epiphany And that is the sexy time <laughs> So Angel Angel wanders through the streets of LA Now noticing I, I think it's It's funny how now all the people on the street Corner are walking down the street now they're all Arguing with each other and you can see how everybody Is being uh, aggro Or whatever anyways walks back to the the Hyperion um, Just like emotionally destroyed Uh, He wants to give up And lo and behold there's Darla Uh, So he takes his opportunity to give up And he decides there's just Nothing's worth nothing anymore And uh, so They bang Presumably uh, either because he just Doesn't care what happens or maybe He's actually actively just trying to lose his soul So he can stop feeling The way he feels Um, And the the Episode gives us um, A fake out where of course he sits, starts awake, uh, in in pain and shock, um, supposedly realizing or experiencing the consequences of who he's just slept with. Cut to black, um, which of course tells us why the name of this episode is "Reprise," because it's a reference to. The uh, previous, the other episode that featured Angel jumping awake in horror after having sex, which was uh, Buffy episode two thirteen, surprise. When he I, lost his soul after that little sexy moment, too.
1: Another thing I never thought of before. So thank you for that, Paul. Uh, one of my yeah. favorite episodes, and I'm yeah. twice feeling like a dummy now. Um, <laughs> no. But I, I, I'm a big fan of this this ending because it puts to bed one of the most I mean if you didn't grow up in fandom during the Buffy Angel years of actually on time like lots of arguments of mm-hmm. stupid stuff about is it sex that makes Angel turn evil is it whatever and like is any sex make him evil and, and 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 the show has been delightful with it up to this point calling him a eunuch because he can't have sex and and we finally get an answer to this question.
0: and in this episode Cordy even says it where she's like there's that really brutal moment where Angel Walks into their new offices and basically swipes A book like Bullies them into giving him the book that he wants And Cordy's all pissed off and she's Like anybody else I'd say just go get laid or Whatever but no not this guy he Has one good boff With someone and instantly he goes Super dark or whatever so Cordy Again is Voicing the misconception that It's not sex That does it it's perfect Happiness
1: and 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 we get we get this this sets up a a string of things that that I think make Angel better as a character. One is we learn from this, and I do love that they play it like, oh, is he going to be evil? This is such a great it's such a great misdirection because it's not fake. He does he's having an epiphany as we'll right. get into the next episode. There yeah. is something real happening here. It's just not what we think. But we will later get versions of um, Angel being able to have sex. We will also get. A totally different version of Angel's perfect happiness um, in a vision, mind you. But in order to remove his soul in later seasons, we get a totally different set of circumstances right. that lead to enough happiness to have his, his soul removed. So by the end of Angel, we actually, I think, much better understand the curse than the simplistic view that everyone was arguing over. But at this moment, in reality, if you were an online Buffy fan like I was there were thoughts about (laughs) arguments going on about this, but yes, I I love this because Darla is equally unhappy as him. This is not even anything other than
0: two miserable people,
1: absolutely miserable people having hate sex.
0: Yes, exactly. Uh, Yeah. Um. Yeah. All right. Well, so let's jump into the next episode. Epiphany original air date, February 27th, 2001. Also written by the incomparable Tim Minear directed by Thomas J. Wright um picks up right where the previous episode left off with the morning after and the possibly unnecessarily extended epiphany as Angel crawls seemingly in agony out onto his balcony but whatever it, for dramatic purposes I'll allow it um yeah so let's pick up with that
1: yeah we're we're into um the uh the the real the real finality of the thesis statement at this point as we get angels agony i do like it i'm i'm a fan of them overplaying this moment just because again they're they're putting to rest a long-standing debate and i actually feel like there was a long-standing debate in the writer's room about this i feel like this wasn't just reacting to fan views of it i think at some point either in this show or the previous show there was a long argument about what the conditions right. of Angel losing his soul were, and this is Tim Minear having an awful lot of fun. Yes,
0: yes, with
1: with answering that question. So yeah, we get we get that.
0: I mean, in season one, we had an episode where he took uh, he took he got spiked. His drink got spiked. No, let me choose a different word. He was drugged, and it brought him enough happiness that he dipped into the Angelus a little bit. So I for, oh my
1: god, I forgot about that extremely weird episode yeah
0: it was weird it was really weird. wow
1: wow yeah um so yes we get we get this um i love this because darla part of the fun too is that darla is so sure she's so sure but she's brought angelus out she's absolutely positive
0: another parallel with the whole uh angel lost his soul after sex with buffy is in reaction to that buffy had that moment where she was like wasn't you know wasn't i good enough or whatever or was it not good which darla says here briefly before she sec- you know before she comes back to herself and was like no i used to be a professional you're not telling me that that was not perfect
1: <laughs> i i i do love that like the running through line is that angel is the worst um aftercare person <laughs> right? in the entire world yeah he's not um, he's
0: not good at pillow talk
1: I, quickly, because I don't know if I'll be on again for another episode with Julie Benz to say this. Because this is the last time we see Julie Benz for a while. For a while, Until, yeah. until the beginning of season three for little bits and then, and then whatever. On my rewatch, I've been rewatching this with my partner. And um, I got to say, Julie Benz has been done wrong by Hollywood. Mm. Her performance as Darla through Angel is consistently... Incredible work. This season two is work that she does. Yeah. From her journey as kind of still evil to human Darla to evil Darla to this point. And then every other thing we all see after. This is, I mean, honestly, top five Buffy performance level stuff, I think. Like, I think I agree. Because, yeah, you just went through season two getting up to this point. I mean, like, it's. She's doing. I don't know like just mind-blowing work like so human it's so human
0: the 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 stuff when she was human and trying to get angel to turn her again that was all there was genuine emotion in her performances in those scenes yeah no she's fantastic I agree
1: I'm very sad because she went from this to be like the wife on Dexter, Dexter, which she got got paid for. So God bless her for getting paid. (laughs) But but no one figured out how to use her. I don't think anyone realized, including me, to be fair. I always liked Julie Benz, but I did not realize how powerful the work she was doing was. Mm. And that includes in this where she's evil. Her performance in that opening scene where Angel, where she's like upset that Angel isn't evil. Right is again like note perfect work. It's a tight balancing act to pull off what she's doing there. Um. Anyway, sorry, I had to go into Julie Benz. No, I just, I couldn't believe how much I had undervalued Julie Benz coming back to the series. I
0: think, killer work. So
1: anyways, but angels had an epiphany. I'm sorry. Yes. We'll, we'll get back to angels.
0: epiphany. All right. So he, uh, he, uh, you can question the, the, you know, the long-term logic of him letting Darla go at that point. But again, if you, with foreknowledge, knowing what the series becomes after this and where these characters go, and you can accept the notion of fate and prophecies and predestination and all that kind of stuff. Obviously it's good that he didn't just kill her. But in the moment, I, in the moment I think I don't remember what my reaction was, but I'm sure people were watching this like you're just going to let her go? <laughs> You've got her here, why don't you kill her?
1: But See, I I'll be honest, I actually think this is another thematically correct Angel moment, which is Angel doesn't kill people just for being evil. That's right, actually right. that's the difference between him and Buffy. Buffy yes. would have staked Arla at this moment. And and I'm not going to get an argument of who's better, Buffy and Angel, because we all know where I fall on anyways, but but um but Angel's the reason Angel could save Faith is because he is not the kind of person who would kill Darla in this moment just because she's there. Yes. So I think this is very consistent to Angel's yes. character. Yes. And and why I love Angel, actually.
0: Too. Agreed. Agreed. So he he sends her walking and he remembers the phone call that he ignored the night before from Kate, and he rushes to her apartment to go save her. And again, I do not remember what, where my head was when I watched this the first time. So I don't know if on first viewing I was, I was caught up enough in the moment that it didn't register. Or if I questioned, wait, how did he just kick in her door and run into her apartment? If I questioned it, it probably, my brain probably went, Oh, she must be like technically dead. She must, he, he, he brings her back somewhere or whatever. Um, but very that's a very significant moment uh, that has a very emotional payoff at the end of the episode, where he bursts into her apartment and drags her into a cold shower to bring her back. And I loved her response when she, you know, after she's recovered and everything, she's like, thank you, now get out. That was felt very emotionally real to me. Yes,
1: yes. I... Before we dig into this, I, I have a really weird question because I think you're you watched BoJack Horseman well before I did, right? Mm-hmm. You
0: I don't know when, but yeah, I've seen it in a lot of well it, yeah.
1: before me cuz you saw it when it was out. Anyways, I watched it recently. And coming back to this episode, this in the last episode, the the Kate call and the BoJack pill call, yeah. um I don't know why those sort of like rang as not necessarily like connected but interestingly rooted in the same type of suicidal, but not, but desperately looking for connection kind of experience. Like Mm -hmm. they're very similar moments. And I'm not saying they are, one is inspired by the other. Like that's not my point, but I think it's interesting that the way they tap into people like that feeling of wanting to be away but wanting to be worth saving, which is kind of what, what's happening here. Excellent. I'm Um, so
0: glad you brought that up. I, I, Don't think BoJack Horseman has ever been mentioned on this podcast, so listeners, if you have not already watched BoJack Horseman, I desperately tried to get people to watch this, and so far I have not had much luck. Most people watch the first part of the first season, and they're like, this is dumb as hell, and I'm like, no, please, I promise you, I promise it gets so much better, but...
1: I I watched it partially because of you, Paul, and I'm actually going to now that you brought up season one, take back what I said about not knowing if the show is influenced by it because there's literally a David Boreanaz's house episode of
0: I did not remember that. There's an
1: episode where Todd Uh is pretending like BoJack's house is David Boreanaz's house or something (laughs) because my partner, who had never seen Buffy or Angel, um, was... Like, didn't know who David Borianis was the first time oh, she had watched man. Bojack Horseman. It was around when I was re-watching the show, and then she was like, Oh, this is David Borianis. <laughs> so, anyways, I'm now certain that the people who made Bojack Horseman watched Angel because there's no other reason you would have a David Borianis house episode. That's so fantastic. Now I'm drawing an explicit line between the <laughs> okay. amazing scene in Bojack Horseman when he calls the name I can't remember her name. Um
0: yeah, it's right on the tip of my tongue, I don't remember.
1: And and the Kate call. Because yeah. I'm gonna say they're they're now thematically related. Anyways, sorry for that extremely weird digression.
0: Brilliant. That spend. was awesome.
1: Um but but yes, I do love I do love the is it at the end of the episode when we get it? That's what I couldn't remember when why was I able to get into the house?
0: Yeah, it's it's her that's the very end of Kate, yeah.
1: And and it's actually one of the only pure moments of the powers that be Acting perhaps Mm -hmm. an angel Before we get jaundiced On them in a really hard way (laughs) As the show goes on from here Yeah. So this is actually one of the only pure moments that the show Doesn't rip away Is Angel being allowed to save Kate
0: I think it's great that it comes in the same episode Where uh, Angel has a Talk with Lorne Who still has not been named Lorne at this point He's still just the host Uh, And Angel's like You know if the what, what, what was the conversation? It was about the, it was about all the lawyers uh, that he killed. Um, in I need to remind myself what episode that was. It was uh, redefinition and reunion. I think it's, I think episodes two and or ten and eleven of this season, uh, when he locked all the Wolfram and Hart lawyers in with Darla and Drusilla.
1: Yeah.
0: And uh, Lauren says, you know that that wasn't you that was always destined to happen. That was always going to happen. The powers that be just were trying to steer you away so that you wouldn't be responsible for it. And angels like, well, if they, why, you know, why didn't they tell me if that's what they wanted? Why didn't they just tell me? And, uh, Lauren of course is like, maybe they did over and over and, you know, over. Um, so at the beginning of this episode, Angel is skeptical or frustrated with the vague methods that the powers that be use to get, you know, messages across to him. And then the episode ends on the whole that was the powers that be supposedly allowing that to happen which was, you know, a message.
1: So, okay, we're getting into the power stuff which gets into the thesis statement. Do we want to do that or do we want to talk about the rest of this episode before we get there?
0: Let's, uh, Let's talk about the rest of the episode. Okay. Um, what is the rest of the episode? I'm looking at my notes. Well, cause... there's,
1: there's, there. okay. So a major, there's two sort of major plot threads to this episode. One is Lindsay being very jealous about Angel having slept with Darla. Right. Um, and the other of which is that Cordelia is in danger due to the Skilosh demons. Uh-huh. And this is kind of Angel's ab- in to making amends with his friends. Right. This is the like, um, and so the, the I don't know how much the Lindsay Darla stuff is worth talking about. Other than that, this is
0: I think Lindsay's penultimate ride in the show. Think so. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he, he goes away for a while. I don't uh, remember when. I'm sorry.
1: Penultimate penultimate ride before season five. I mean, yes. I'm sorry. This yeah, is, yeah, yeah. it's like we have this and then we have evil hand, which is a great <laughs> send off too. Yes. Um, And then, and then he's gone. So this is like, uh, we were kind of reaching the end of Lindsay's character arc, I guess right. is my point. Yeah. And I, I seem to remember there's a, a, a point when he kind of interrupts, like, cause actually they intersect because we have Lindsay getting angry during the course of this episode. Uh-huh. And then we have angel trying to get Wesley and Gunn to trust him enough to help out with Cordy. Right. Um, and constantly. Uh, okay. I have a second thesis statement about angel, by the way, <laughs> Okay, by the way, with this, but but we have like the Lindsay stuff and eventually he just tries beating up Angel and then Angel I think beats him back up. I don't know if there's really an interesting payoff to that.
0: I mean it was it was fun to see the Lindsay go all tiny Texan. Although yes. he's actually a tiny Oklahoman. Yes. Oklahoman. Oklahoma, is that right? Yeah. Um, um, and apparently that was all um, why, why his name has gone out of my head. The guy that plays Lindsay now. Um
1: Oh my God, I, I I can't remember his name. Christian um, Kane,
0: Christian Kane, Christian Kane. Yes. Um, apparently, that was all Christian Kane because he's from Oklahoma. When he when he moved to L.A. to become an actor, he drove his beat up old pickup pickup truck to L.A. So like that was all Christian Kane being inserted in the character, uh, and he has said that everything but the flannel shirt that he was wearing were actually his clothes. He's like, those are my favorite boots. They were very comfortable. Um, so, I mean, it's Amazing. fun to see sort of that element of Lindsay. Um, it doesn't go anywhere because, I mean, he's getting the best. It looks like he's getting the best of Angel, beating the hell out of him with a sledgehammer. And then he turns his back for one minute and Angel's <laughs> Angel beats the hell out of him. Um, but... but what we do get,
1: I actually think the Lindsay plot plays into this, too. OK, we're going to get into the real piece of statement. So let me give you my secondary Angel thesis statement, which has only come together through my rewatch that okay. I'm doing, which is, it's not really a thesis statement, but it is sort of like the emotional undercurrent of the thesis statement, which is that um awkward. Okay, this is the meta thesis statement. That's what I want to say. This right. is the writer's thesis statement as opposed to the thematic thesis statement. Angel is his best self. The show is thus its best self when Angel is a mix of dark brooding and hilariously awkward mm-hmm. and we know that angel is back because now he's in the car being like i had an epiphany and everyone is like you're a fucking doofus mm-hmm. like that's yeah that's angel so like while angel's real emotional thesis statement we'll get to the thing that says the I, the platonic ideal of angel as a show is when angel straddles uncomfortably the division between brooding hero and awkward loser. And we have returned to the real angel as of this episode. Awesome. So, and, and Tim Minear settles that with this. I think from now on watch the rest of the show and you can feel your interest waning or returning based on how well <laughs> they have established that version of angel.
0: Yeah, that's brilliant. I like it. You're right. Um, yeah. That awkward car ride is crazy. Um, you know, I had a gut wound recently too. Stabbed with a sword. I mean, (laughs) whole thing. it's just ridiculous.
1: He's such a doofus. I love it. And David Boreanaz is at his best. And it's so disappointing that Hollywood has only been able to figure out how to weaponize his like brooding side since then, because that version of David Boreanaz's performance is so good. It's not easy to pull that off. David Boreanaz is not like an A++ plus actor. Like he's not someone who has like, I mean, he's surrounded by better actors yeah. on the show. But his, it is not easy to walk the line between rugged leading man and awkward loser mm-hmm. and not compromise either via your performance. And he totally pulls that off. And this, that scene, this car ride is like – because you've been kind of getting that for a season and a half. And then we lost it once he went evil, mm-hmm. once he went dark. Yeah, And now it comes back and it's like – and you can just feel it. You're like angels back. Like that's why it works so well because this whole scene, you're like, it's Angel again.
0: It's Angel. Yeah.
1: And and it's and even they who are annoyed by him kind of can feel it. Wesley <laughs> and Gunn can kind of feel what's going
0: on. Speaking of better actors surrounding Boreanaz, um, Wesley uh, does great. <sighs> so he tries really hard to be upset with Angel, but every time Angel. Pops back up like when he's at it when Wesley's at his apartment, um, and he get and we first get shotgun Wesley and and then Angel shows up. He tries really hard to be stern and and disapproving or whatever, but you can also see in his eyes that, um, I mean, he's just happy that Angel's back, so that's that's great stuff.
1: Yep, yes, I. Yes, what, uh, Alexis Denisov is great yes. on, in this, and we're, we are into the full Alexis Denisov stuff at this point. Wesley, through the last episode in this, is it does start in Guys Will Be Guys, mm-hmm. but I feel like it settles into this episode, yeah. as Wesley gets to stay the boss, even at the end of this episode. Yes,
0: and um, stays the boss through mid-next season. When ter- yeah, I mean, when terrible stuff happens, he
1: he stays the boss until the middle of next season, which I didn't remember actually. By the way, like that mm-hmm. was a learning for me, and then kind of is still seen as worth as the second in command once he resolves that arc when he finally ends up back in the fold again.
0: Right. There's but no at that but at that point, Angel goes back to being yes, the, main goes back boss. To be the
1: boss. But yeah. then Angel was once again not the boss, and there's no question that Wesley is the boss again. Like when Angel gets out of the out of the equation, Uh, leadership immediately reverts to even darker Wesley at that point. Even despite everything else that's happened, no one questions that it's Wesley without Angel. So we've established it.
0: Yeah. Um, Okay. so what else is in here? Um, They gun gun was just kind of absent. Like he he didn't really get a lot of airtime. Screen time in these two episodes but uh, He comes back so he and Wesley and uh, Angel Manage to Rescue Cordy the group is Reunited I love the fact that uh, After they save Cordy Angel's all like uh, are you okay And she says no I just loved her performance I loved Charisma Carpenter's performance As she's saying no I'm not okay and Angel's clearly worried and she's like You really hurt my feelings That was just a I mean, all of the harsh words so Gunn has had really harsh words for Angel. Wesley has had stern upper lip firm upper lip uh words for Angel. Uh but I think the thing that hit him the hardest was Cordy saying, You really hurt my feelings.
1: It it's it's definitely like an establishing thing of the Angel Cordy dynamic. I don't want to say establishing, but it reinforces just yeah. how brutal and emotionally keen their connection is yeah. through the series.
0: Okay. Is there anything else that you want to mention? Before? Oh,
1: let's, let's, let's get, let's do it. That's
0: okay. Story. So here it is. The message of the series, the big theme.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, the tattoo on uh, my fucking I, arm. I, I, yeah. I was going to say, Paul, you've got the tattoo. <laughs> you, 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 tr- you Trump, you Trump me on this one.
0: Uh, If nothing we do matters Then all that matters is what we do A small part of a much larger speech But that is the significant line That I have uh, committed to Having permanently etched on my body um, And at various times Has been very helpful and meaningful to me So I get chills every time I watch the scene Where he says, it's so casual Like when he's actually saying that line He's talking to Kate uh, At the end of the episode And it's very casual Like It's not delivered as if it has the weight that it has um but I mean it's it stays with me and it stays with the show
1: it it's so beautiful and I I actually really love in retrospect that it's a line that follows a suicide attempt Mm -hmm. because as powerful as the line is just absent context because I think it's a powerful line just As a piece of writing, it's a beautiful writing, Yeah, but the context of a conversation of someone who is suicidal themselves, who had put themselves through it, talking to someone else who just survived a suicide attempt, that level of it is just incredibly potent Mm -hmm. um, as a statement because it doesn't just speak to the fight of Angel. It also speaks to the bleakness of
0: depression. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. Oh. I mean, yeah, I don't want to get too bleak here on the episode. I don't want to bring us too down, but um, you know, the world is a. The world's a bonfire right now, and uh, I, lots of us have been struggling. I, personally, have been struggling, recently. And, uh, it is a nice reminder of like, I, I have been in Angel's place where you just wonder what the hell is it all for? What, what is the difference in anything anymore? So it is a nice reminder to revisit this episode and to, you know, be reminded I have this on my arm. Sometimes I forget to look down at my own arm and see this. So, um, it's a good time to, to let this message in and to remind myself what's being said here, what it means. Like the 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 other parts of the quote, I mean, he's talking about how, you know, there's no grand plan, there's no big win, if there's no great glorious end to all of this, you know, if nothing we do matters, all that matters is what we do. Because that's all there is, what we do now, today. Um, what does he say? Uh, he says, all I... All I want to do is help. I want to help because I don't think people should suffer as they do, because if there's no bigger meaning, then the smallest act of kindness is the greatest thing in the world.
1: It's such a good speech. Um, Paul, I, I realized something as you were talking about this. So we're on video, even though you don't see the video of this, but so it's, it's I'm calling that out because I, I noticed something that I wouldn't notice. I don't, I'm the only reason I'm mentioning this, which is that Paul has this quote on the in the inside of his forearm and the left arm. Right. Am I right about that? Mm-hmm. So okay. I, I only realized this because Paul and I both have a tattoo on the inside of our forearm of our left arm, which is both a statement of intent, I think, in our lives, uh-huh. and I would say, of uh, sibling statements of 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 the um, triumph over futility via small actions. So Paul has nothing you do matters, then all that matters is what we do. I have a quote from Ecclesiastes on the left part of my arm, which is um, it the the I don't have the full thing, but it says uh, chasing after the wind, and the full quote is. Um, God, I'm now I'm blanking, but like all is vanity and chasing after the wind, which is to say that everything we do in life is um, is ultimately not going to make a difference. Like it can't change anything. It's chasing after the wind. And the quote that comes after that is that all we can do is find joy and in, in our life and our toil and eating. Um, and it's this. It's such. It's a very similar sentiment yes. of we can't change the world. To pretend you can change the world is vanity. And yeah. so what matters is what you do with your time. It's the same thing. It reminds me it's on this part of my arm because it reminds me to look at it. Like I can look at it and remind myself. Yeah. And so I, anyways, I just think it's I never, I, I never noticed. The delay.
0: I can't believe you and I have never had this conversation before about placement and similarity of the quotes. And it's crazy. Uh, anyways. So, yeah, so this is his final, this is his final scene with Kate and, um he speaks the thesis of certainly the episode absolutely the season the series whatever and then Kate gets to follow that up with um talking about how you know she, she believes she now believes she believes that there's something out there that there's some higher power or whatever and she says i don't know what i believe but i have faith i think uh maybe we're not alone in this and he says why and she says Because I never invited you in And That's it That's where the scene ends Um, She says that with the gravitas It deserves Angel gets just a second Of reaction to that where You know you realize it didn't even Dawn on him he was so caught up in the moment Trying to save her he didn't even Question how or why he Got into the apartment so
1: I like this because I think an easy read on the later part of the series is that there is no higher power. There is nothing. We are alone in this. I think it's easy to read, especially season four, um, in that, in that light, right? Like it's, in fact, season four seems to make the argument Mm -hmm. that there is no higher power. There's nothing there for you. Um, but we return to this sentiment in season five. Um, in the middle of season 5 as we close off one major character's arc in a return performance where we get another instance of exactly this that you're it's never going to be enough to turn the tide. You're not going to get some divine intervention to win the war. That's not what's going to happen. But every once in a while everybody lives. That's kind of like once in a while there is a moment of joy. But that's not it. You don't fight for that. You can't control it. You can't make it happen. What matters is what we do. And but it's not nihilistic because sometimes. You do get a moment where you save Kate or. Right. Someone someone wakes up to help you through a struggle. And and so I think this is everything about this conversation is so deeply tied to the ethos of the series from here and it's why I think reading season 4 as oppressively bleak is misguided because I don't think it's oppressively bleak but b think it is the testing point it's the crucible of this theme season 4 is when you burn everything away when you really do put everyone against the wall what do you do and then we get the answer to once you've stripped everything away in season 5 with all right, everything's burned away. We are now in the belly of the beast. We're now going to live out the revelation of Reprise Epiphany Mm -hmm. by putting them into it, and we're going to see what the heroes do. Everything about the the series from here is
0: from here. And the series finale is a restating of this, essentially, of the, you know, there's no big win, there's no great glorious moment there's no big win if nothing we do matters then all that matters is what we do it's a it's a it's a much more visual graphic (laughs) representation of this sentiment but i feel like the show goes out on this idea
1: this is it i mean everything about the last two episodes are exactly exactly this angel is one of the rare shows and I don't think this is the only thing that makes a great show, by the way. I, don- I want to say that what I'm going to praise Angel for is not a requirement to be a great show. Mm-hmm. But Angel was one of the rare shows that stays true to its thematic and emotional ethos all the way through to the end of the show. The, the end of its se- the, end- the last season of Angel is not your common look back at season one, close the circle, repeat all the things that you've done so far kind of thing. What it is, is a final testing of the sentiment put out in this season. This, this moment, I should actually say, sorry, this moment is what season five is about. It's not about returning to the beginning. It's not about repeating nostalgic moments. It's what if not only does nothing you do matter, but you have put yourself in a position where what you do will create the evil you want to fight. Yeah. And... What are the val- What is the value of your actions at the point at which you've compromised yourself that much? The show never gives up on the sentiment that it lays out here. And I'm not even going to call it intentional because I don't know if the writers realize what they had at this moment. Mm-hmm. But one way or another, when you go back through Angel, this is the ethos of the show from here on out.
0: There are a handful. There are tons and tons of amazing writers uh, on Buffy and Angel. Um, but there are a small handful of truly extraordinary ones that. Consistently make big Statements Tim Minear Mayor Smith I mean for what it's worth Joss himself (laughs) But um, In this particular moment I am deeply Enmeshed in my uh, abiding Love for Tim Minear so um, He he is one of the Beasts uh, of the writer's room Absolutely
1: maybe maybe the greatest writer of the angel buffy franchise which is not a light statement i yeah. mean i think there are other ones like i think steven s DeKnight is yes. another yeah i mean i don't know if you've watched anyone out there has watched spartacus blood and like blood and sand of that series but i cannot tell you enough if you want to uh, respect steven s DeKnight as a writer go watch spartacus but tim mineer's acuteness of writing because he also wrote i mean like i go back and i look at how many of the great episodes i just finished season four so the very last episode of angel i've watched that aren't these is home
0: mm-hmm. which might
1: be tim Miner's last episode of angel by the way i can't remember if he wrote in season five at all but it might be his last episode and is another mind-blowingly well-written episode of the show and so i will give me give everyone my little bit of hobby horse which is my frustration that the internet tends to credit if nothing we do matters, then all that matters what we do is to Joss Whedon. And Joss <laughs> Whedon, despite the many reasons to be frustrated with him, yeah. it has been a good writer. He has written great yes. stuff. You know, yes. Like he has. He did not write this. No. This is Tim Minear. Tim Minear wrote the greatest single line of the Buffy verse. I will go to the mattresses that this is the greatest single line of the Buffy verse, and Tim Minear wrote it. So give the man some credit because this is
0: beauty. You are correct, by the way. Home, the final episode of season four is the last writing credit for Tim Minier. He also directs that episode.
1: Yeah. An incredible episode, by the way, all just whenever, whenever y'all get to it, know that I am giving it my <laughs> my distant blessing because it's a beautiful.
0: Who knows? Maybe you'll be the guest on it.
1: <laughs> no unnecessary. I just want everyone to know that I'm, I am I <laughs> am giving the sign of the crossover that episode. But no, this Tim Minear is probably the best episode, probably the best writer the show has ever had on a show brimming with great episodes from Elizabeth crass and Sarah Fane to Tim Minear to Steven S. Tonight, Mayor Smith. Um, uh, Oh my God. Who wrote tabula rasa? I'm blanking on her name. Rebecca something. Am I, am I Kirshner, getting her name wrong?
0: Rebecca Rand Kirschner.
1: Rebecca Rand Kirschner. I mean, um, just a killer amount of writers. That's how blessed you are, and then you watch this episode, these two episodes, and you get Tim Minear at the absolute height of his powers. So, bless you, Tim Minear. Canceled again. I love you. His. I'm sorry. For those not in on that little deep cut, his Twitter account handle at least at one point was cancelled again because because after this, he wrote he did a number of series, including Firefly, that Got canceled in their first season So And Drive, anyways, do you
0: remember Drive? I remember for, Drive For like the series. three episodes it lasted or whatever Amazing,
1: amazingly weird Lost-esque yeah, series Yeah. Um, anyways, I, I have not Watched American Horror Story but I'm going To soon just to catch up on
0: I've only watched the Surprising no one, I've only watched The season, the 1984 Season of that and I do not remember If Tim Miner had anything to do with that But um, that right. series was great that season was great, I should say. Anyway,
1: sorry, I'm distracting us long as of the Tim Minear train. Uh, just to praise the beauty of his writing in this episode.
0: Well, Eric, I am thrilled that I had you to discuss these. Uh, these are important episodes. You're a passionate, passionate fan with um, deep thoughts to share. I'm very happy that you came on here and shared your deep thoughts with us.
1: Thank you for having me on I There are many episodes of this show I like And including the last time you had me on The Faith episodes, which I would have argued Were the next most important episodes of this show But I can't, honestly If you would force me to choose only two episodes Of the entire two series To talk about It would have been these two Wow, This would have been it So wow. I'm very excited to have gotten to talk
0: about it Well, I'm glad that. you made a scene <laughs> and, uh, and Terrible, terrible <laughs> Um, So uh, do you would you like to let the listeners know what the uh, hidden joke is there?
1: Yes, I'm sorry. I'm also a, a occasional intermittent podcast host of my One, own. Once and future days.
0: podcaster. Yeah.
1: Every once in a while, I, you will find an episode of the 16 episodes of Making the Scene, which is a podcast um, focused on films. Uh, picking a, I have a guest on. I'm the host, but I pick a guest. The guest picks a scene of a movie. We discuss all of that things that go into making that scene really work. Paul has been a guest on the episode um, for Blade Runner, right? Mm-hmm, the, yeah, the um, tears, in, tears in the rain scene, which yeah. is a great episode because it's a great scene. And Paul was a fantastic guest. So, yes, I, I making the scene is a good podcast. There aren't that many of them, but I think the episodes are high quality. So please go check. them. Out. And
0: you're you're still doing those occasionally. Yes.
1: Yep. I'm I've mostly finished up a most recent season. So we had eight episodes of season one. Really, a long time ago. It was a while. Um, and and I recently did another um, six or eight episodes. So the last two episodes are still to come out on that, but okay. um, some good stuff. And then um, I want to do a third season. And Paul, I'm going to want to have you back on for that.
0: So I would, I would love to be back on.
1: Prepare for an invite.
0: Okay, excellent. Uh, Eric, thank you so much. Um, aside from making the scene. Uh, you have other stuff to pimp. I mentioned at the top of the show you're a, you are a published author. Mimesis, which I don't know if you saw, is displayed right here behind Ahsoka. It's staring at you behind Ahsoka and Spider Man. Can you see it?
1: Yes, I've been watching. <laughs> uh,
0: in case it moved, in case it moved, it's a it's a gorgeous book. I love that cover. Uh, also, Broken Magic, which I have on the shelf, I believe right over there. Um, and then our joint project, The Deli Counter of Justice. But what else do you have going on?
1: I mean, to be honest, you've covered pretty much most of it. Um, I, I, Mimesis is a fairly recent release. Definitely check it out. I, um, I've been, I've been um, re-struggling with the premise of it, which is deals a lot with homophobia. And I remember releasing it and thinking, did I, did I miss the moment? Like I'm writing for my own feelings of queerness, but maybe I've missed the moment and now everything sucks again. <laughs> and so I'm not happy. I would have actually preferred the version where I was writing out of some, some, uh, yeah. anti-nostalgia of anti-fear that didn't happen, but that's the big thing. Um, but, um, deli counter stuff might be spinning again. So I guess I'm just going to say, um, to those of you who enjoyed the deli counter of justice, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe there'll be stuff in the future again. We, we'll see.
0: We always hope that there is stuff that, well, let me put it this way. There is always deli counter of justice stuff brewing, bubbling under the surface. It feels like maybe something might actually percolate this time. We'll see. Yeah, we'll um, see. If, uh, if any listeners have enjoyed the sound of Eric's voice, and I don't know why you wouldn't, um, they most recently joined me on an episode of my other podcast, Gobbledy Geek, to also speak passionately about a subject. Um, Eric, you were on the show to talk about Uh, the comic book series Die by Kieran Gillen, which is uh, you were very passionate about. We were both passionate about, but that was really your show. That was your episode. So I encourage people. It's a fantastic book. Uh, It's a fantastic conversation. Uh, And Eric is always their best when they are allowed free reign to just spill their emotions onto the microphone, so...
1: You should read Die, go read Die. That's the real the real win in what Paul is talking about. But yes, if you wanna hear how deeply, personally affecting the books Die were to me, please go listen to that episode. Um, I would have never even known it existed if I hadn't been invited onto that that uh, that episode. So I, I actually, I should just be thanking you. Thank what? you for tripping this episode, but really thank you for having me read that because it was an episode where I talk about crying in a bar in public because of, an, of a comic book. So, yeah.
0: yeah. That's, one of that's one nice of my service. one of my proudest achievements, not only making you aware of that book, but then getting you to cry in public over a comic book in a bar. Well done. While well stra- done. while strangers watched. So. <laughs> Anyways, um, thank you everybody at home for listening. Uh, you can find links to this and all of our past episodes at the website conswithdead.com. Uh, You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. While you're there, please rate us or write us a review that uh, feeds the algorithm and helps new listeners find the show. If you have questions for me or uh, any of my guests, the inestimable Eric Sipple, we didn't even uh, pimp your site. Is your site still active?
1: It's still active. I I don't don't post on it as much as I should, but yeah, if you go to ericsipple.com, it's it's totally there. That's right.
0: That's right. You've you've upgraded. It's not, I, I, it's not I, I Salon Moyo anymore.
1: I, yeah, I, I actually need to reroute the, the URL to that. But yeah, my old blog got deaded by uh, technical issues. And so I am now on ericsipel.com.
0: Okay, well, there you go. Um, anyways, if you have questions for me or Eric or anybody else, just ask random questions, anybody, I'll track them down and I'll pass your question on. Um, or if you just want to join the conversation, you can drop us an email at conversations... No, that's not it cons with dead At gmail.com You can follow us on twitter At cons with dead or reach out to us on facebook At conversations with dead people Uh, Next week I'm going to say week although I think we all Accept by now that there's more than a week between These episodes next episode Melanie Scala is back to discuss episodes 217 disharmony 218 dead end and 219 belonging so until Then Remember If nothing we do matters, then all that matters is what we do.